Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Who's That Then podcast. Thank you all so much for being here. And as I'm sure you know, there was a change in management in Great Britain this weekend. There was a really big party with a special fancy hat and a big golden ball. I'm sure you saw something about it. And if you haven't, how? That's really impressive. It has been everywhere. Our new king is the king of Great Britain, which means England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, as well as a number of other places around the globe. But, as we all know from history, England and Scotland have had a lot of differences over the years. There have actually been so many wars fought between the two that I can't find a single number for the total amount of wars. If you ever look up a list, you just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. There have been so many. So, how did we end up becoming united? That is actually just a super, super long story. So instead of sitting here for the next few hours, how about we talk about the first king of Scotland and England? You know what? I think we'll do that. The first king of England and Scotland was named James. He in fact has two different regnal numbers. He's James VI of Scotland and James I of England. And so to save on confusion, I'm going to simply call him James or maybe James VI. I am very changeable. James was born in Edinburgh Castle on the 19th of June, 1566. I've actually seen the room that he was born in, and it's very hard to see into, and it's very dark in there, and there's this very large mirror on one side that doesn't really help you see in. But Edinburgh Castle is a really cool place if you're planning a trip to Edinburgh. I highly recommend it. I bought this really cool map of Scotland from 1610 up there, but I digress. Back to James. James's parents were Mary Queen of Scots and the Lord of Darnley, Henry Stuart. And just eight months after his birth, his father died. Now, that in itself isn't too remarkable. But what is, is how he died. He died when his house exploded. Yep, you heard right. Exploded. This house had been blown up with gunpowder, and his and the body of one of his servants were found not too far away from the wreckage. However, there is much intrigue, because the bodies were found strangled and, you know, not blown up. The blame had been put onto Mary and the man that she married only three months after the explosion, James Hepburn. Things didn't end up going well for Mary or Hepburn, because a large rebellion broke out and Mary was forced to abdicate the throne in favour of her one-year-old son, James. An interesting note on Hepburn, he was acquitted in a rigged trial before the rebellion, and after the rebellion was won, he was allowed to leave Scotland, and he ended up in Denmark. He lived for five years before going insane and dying in 1578. Oh, and Mary got a divorce from him in 1570, so it really, really didn't go well for him. That's not relevant to our story, but I thought it was way too interesting not to mention. James VI, as he is now the King of Scotland, was raised by a council of lords. Scottish nobility and royalty worked differently from the way it did in Tudor England to the south. The king was simply the first amongst equals, and the Stuarts just happened to be the ruling family. There were four regents during his childhood, and for the rest of his life, they had his confidence. James had a very private and probably quite lonely childhood, but what we do know is he was taught Greek, Latin, and French, as well as being educated in religious matters and texts. This all made James very intelligent, and he wrote a lot in his life. None of it's very good, but he did write a lot. But it also made him a bit of a control freak. He was a bit too detail-oriented and too quick to find faults in things, and this really led him into issues further down the line, but we will get there. As James was growing up, he kept getting kidnapped, 
He was first taken under the influence of the Duke of Lennox. Lennox was a Roman Catholic, and he wanted to put Mary back on the throne. James was then kidnapped in 1582 by the first Earl of Gowry. He managed to escape the Earl the next year, and he started off as a king in his own right. James, like all other kings, wanted to be fully in charge, and so he tried very, very hard to assert his own control on the Scottish throne. He also had in his mind to pursue the claim on the throne of England. His cousin Elizabeth didn't have any children, but what she did have was a large country on his southern border that would look really, really good under his control. James set to an alliance with Elizabeth in 1586, and it even got to a point where, when Elizabeth executed James's mother Mary in 1587, all he really did was a meek, no, please don't do that, no. He didn't actually do anything else. Then again, he had never really met this woman, and so it's impossible to know how he really felt about the whole thing. Aside from his ambitions in England, he also got married. In 1589, he married Anne of Denmark, who was daughter of the King of Denmark. They were married on August the 20th, which seems like a fantastic time to get married, and they were also married in Oslo. Again, this isn't relevant, but I think it's really cool regardless. Norway is amazing, and it's honestly my favourite place on earth. And I really hope that they took a nice boat ride down the Oslo Fjord for their honeymoon. In 1594, their first child Henry was born, and in 1603, James succeeded to the throne of England upon the death of Elizabeth. He stood in front of the English Parliament and he told him that he was an old, experienced king. And it's hard to disagree with him in his confidence. During his reign in Scotland, he had balanced out Roman and Roman Catholic and Presbyterian factions in Scotland. He also managed to get himself made the head of the Presbyterian Church in 1584, which gave him the power of investiture, meaning that he could select bishops in Scotland. Selecting the bishops had always been a right of the church, and so this huge source of influence on people's daily life, the church, was controlled by a power all the way in Rome, making it very difficult for kings to exert control over the people through the church. This was no longer a problem for him, because he now was the church, he was the head. Much like Henry had done in England, James had done in Scotland. However, his reign in England went really poorly. He was crowned in 1603, and over the next four years, he doubled, yes, doubled the debt that Elizabeth had left him. In 1605, Guy Fawkes and a couple of his, close, and a couple of his closest Catholic bros rented a house right next to the Houses of Parliament, and then they proceeded to take many barrels of gunpowder and hide it in the basement. This you may have heard of with the fun little rhyme, Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder treason and plot. James was the proposed victim of the gunpowder plot. It of course failed, but it does speak to the kind of religious feeling in the air at the time. I'm going to talk a little bit more in detail about the gunpowder plot because I find it really interesting, and this is my podcast. The leader was a man named Robert Gatesby. He was Catholic, in fact, they all were. And the idea of the plot was to blow up the king in a meeting of parliament, and then place a more Catholic-friendly monarch on the throne. Guy Fawkes is the most famous member of the plot, and he had been a soldier for 10 years, and so he was put in charge of the explosives. He was discovered under the House of Lords with 36 barrels of gunpowder, and was arrested. Now, 36 barrels of gunpowder is more than enough to blow up the Houses of Parliament. And all of the other members of the plot fled. Some of them, including Gatesby himself, held up at Holbeck House. Gatesby was shot and killed, along with a few others. And the trial of the surviving eight plotters was held on January 27th, 1606. All of the men, Fawkes included, 
was sentenced to death by being hung, drawn, and quartered. Now, this is a particularly nasty way to die, because if you get it just right, what they would do is they would hang you until you're just about to die. They then cut you down. They then draw you and quarter you, which I'm not going to get into detail, but is horrifying. And then they would send all the different parts of you to the different corners of the country. And you may be asking yourself, how did this happen? How were they caught? And it's actually quite a funny story because the reason they were caught was their own stupidity. One of the members of the plot wrote a letter to one of his family members telling him about the plan and to not go into parliament that day. He outlined the whole plan. As soon as the guy received the letter, he took it and he gave it to the king's men who then discovered the plot and put a stop to it. It's also been suggested that it wouldn't have worked regardless. Even though there were 36 barrels, and that's a lot of gunpowder, the powder was wet, and wet powder doesn't blow up. Now, I'm sure the king's family would have been really happy hearing that this is the reason why they didn't put the plot, they didn't stop the plot. You know, they walk in one day and they say, oh, sorry, your majesty, we just didn't think it was going to work. Also, James refused to see Parliament as an equal to his power. Parliament had tried to change his income from its current feudal system to a government wage. James responded by dissolving Parliament. He actually did this a number of times over his 22-year reign in England, and it was often about money and Parliament's lack of willingness to give it to him. However, to give James his dues, he did successfully end a war with Spain in 1604, which is impressive. Towards the end of his life, he made a series of bad decisions. James sided with Spain, which caused a lot of problems to his British subjects, who had spent a lot of time fighting Spain. The Spanish Armada hadn't happened that long ago, and there was a lot of anti-Spanish feeling in the country. James had even had an English public hero, Sir Walter Riley, killed, because he had gotten into a fight with the Spanish in South America. The only way to ensure peace was to have Walter Riley executed. And here's a fun little fact about Sir Walter Riley. His wife, after the execution, kept his head. Yep, she kept the head of her dead husband in a silk bag, and at dinner parties, she'd take it out. Uh, that's insane. I'm just going to go and say it. That's insane. If I... If... When I die, please don't keep my head in a bag. I, I really don't want that. Now, it might be a nice silk bag, but please don't put my head in it, and it definitely do not get me out at dinner parties. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I would like my ashes to be used to justify a holiday not kept in a bag or kept with my head or anything of the like, please don't do it. Back to James. One of the most important reasons that people didn't like him was his clear and obvious attraction towards other men. He's thought to have several homosexual relationships throughout his life, and the problem was is that he gave them a lot of favours. His most famous favourite was George Villas, who he went on to make the Duke of Buckingham. Historian Michael B. Young calls James the most prominent homosexual figure in the early modern period. And during work undertaken in the early 2000s, they found a secret passage between James's room and Villa's room so that they could come and go in peace. Other people who weren't Villa's accused the king of favouritism, and the king responded with, You may be sure that I love the Earl of Buckingham more than anyone else. He did all of this despite numerous times writing against homosexuality. He openly denounced homosexuality. James also commissioned the King James Bible, 
which is the first Bible to be written in English. Now, I know what I said is a little bit contentious because there are other Bibles to be written in English, some of them dating before that. But just for now, let's just say that this was like the first official Bible written in English. I know that that even isn't true, but there's so much argument about this. So we're just going to go with it. And we're going to say it with confidence and we'll let the cards fall as they may. Okay. He commissioned the King James Bible. He didn't actually write it. Instead, 47 people came together to write it, led by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Richard Bancroft. And while we're on the subject of religion, his wife caused him a bit of strife because she openly converted to Catholicism, which is kind of a slap in the face to a man who is now the head of two different churches, neither of which are Roman Catholic. He's the head of the Scottish Presbyterian Church and also the Church of England. James's first son died in 1612. And then he went on to marry his second son to the sister of the King of France. His second son's name is Charles. Charles I to you and I. And his old man left him with a huge, huge amount of mess to deal with when in 1625, James died at the age of 56. James leaves behind a really mixed legacy. He is the first monarch of Great Britain. He ended wars and united two historical enemies. He had a Bible translated into a language that people could read. And for his years of the King of Scots, he did a really, really good job. But he was also wildly unprepared for his role as the King of England. He couldn't get along with Parliament. And his obvious favouritism and homosexual lifestyle confused and alienated the leading magnates of the kingdom. So, what do you think about good old King James, the sixth and first? I find him to be a really interesting and complex character. His son Charles was left with this absolute mountain of issues to try and solve. And when he tried to use the same methods of his, as his father, Parliament rose up against him and cut off his head, leading to a period of nine years of the British Republic under Cromwell. But that is a story for another time. I, dear gentle listener, must apologise for the shortness of this episode. I realised that last week's episode was quite long and so I'm trying to balance it out. Also, I would love your opinion. Do you prefer these ones that are shorter and snappier, or ones like last week that were a bit longer and a little bit more detailed? Please, do let me know. I'm also extremely curious what you think about the coronation. Did you watch it? Did you enjoy it? Do you find the whole thing to be a huge waste of money? Or do you believe it's an important part of our nation's identity? Or do you believe something else entirely? Please, do email or Instagram. Remember the email and the Instagram are who's that then podcast, all one word. And for now, this is goodbye, dear gentle listener. If you ever find yourself in Edinburgh, do definitely visit the castle. It is extremely cool. And the view from the top of it on a clear day is absolutely breathtaking. I was there in June last year and I cannot recommend it enough. With that said, have an excellent, happy and safe week. And see you again next time for another episode of the Who's That Then podcast. Bye bye for now.